following is an extract from the book We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Chapter, chapter 1 My name is Mary Kathleen Blackwood. I am 18 years old and I live with my sister Constance. I have often thought that with any luck at all I could have been born a white werewolf because of the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length. I had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself and dogs and noise. I like my sister Constance and Richard Plantagenet and Amentier Polyodius, a deaf cup mushroom. Everyone else is in my family is dead. Last time I glanced at library books on the kitchen shelf, they were more than five months overdue. I wondered whether I would have chosen differently if I'd known that the, these were the last books, the ones which would stand forever on the kitchen shelf. We rarely moved things. The Blackwoods were never much of a family for restlessness and stirring. We dealt with the small surface transcendent objects, the books and the flowers and the spoons, and underneath with always a solid foundation of stable possessions. We always put things back where they belonged. We dusted and swept under tables and chairs and beds and pictures and rugs and lamps, but we left them where they were. A tortoiseshell toilet set on our mother's dressing table was never out of place by so much as a fraction of an inch. Blackwoods had always lived in the house. Get the things in order as soon as a new Blackwood wife moved in. A place was found for belongings, and so a house was built up with layers of Blackwood property, weighing it and keeping it steady against the world. It was on a Friday, late April, that they brought the library books into the ha- our house. Fridays and Tuesdays were terrible days because I had to go to the village. Someone had to go to the library and the grocery. Constance never went past her own garden, and Uncle Julian could not. Therefore, it was not pride that took me into the village twice a week, or even stubbornness but only the simple need for books and food. It may have been pride that brought me into Stella's for a cup of coffee before I started home. I told myself it was pride that would not avoid going into Stella's so much, no matter how much I wanted to be at home. But I knew too that Stella would see me pass if I did not go in and perhaps think I was afraid and thought I could not, and that a thought I could not endure. Good morning, Mary Kathleen, Stella always said, reaching over to wipe the counter with a red damp rag. How are you today? Very well, thank you. And Constance Blackwell is well to, is she well? Very well, thank you. And how is he as well as he can be expected? That coffee, please. If anyone else came in and sat down the counter, I'd leave my coffee without seeming hurried and leave, nodding goodbye to Stella. Keep well, she always said automatically. As I went out, I chose the library books of care. They were books in our house, of course. Our father's study had books covering two walls. But I liked fairy tales and books on history, of history. Constance liked books about food. Although Uncle Julian never took up with a book, he liked to see Constance reading the evenings while he worked at his papers. And sometimes he turned his head to look at her and nod. What are you reading, my dear? A pretty sight, a lady with a book? I'm reading something called The Art of Cooking, Uncle Julian. Admirable. We'd sit, sit 
We have never sat quietly for long, of course, with Uncle Julian in the room. I do not recall that Constance and I ever opened the eye books, which are still in the kitchen, on our kitchen shelf. It was a fine April morning when I came out of the library. The sun was shining and the false glorious promises of spring were everywhere, showing oddly through the village grime. I remember that I stood on the library steps, holding books and looking for a minute at the hint, soft hinted green in the branches against the sky, and wishing, as I always did, I could walk home across the sky instead of through the village. From the library steps I could see across the street directly and walk on the other side along to the grocery. But that meant I must pass the gross general store, a man sitting in front. In this village the men stayed young and did the gossiping, a women aged with grey evil weariness, and stood silently waiting for the men to get up and come home. I would leave the library and walk up the street on this side until I was opposite the grocery and cross. That was preferable. Although it took me past the post service and a rusted house of holes of rusted tin and had broken automobiles and empty gas tins and the old mattresses and plumby fishes and wash tubs and a Harley Harler family brought home, I generally believed loved. Rochester House was the loveliest in town, and once had a walk night panelled library and a second floor bedroom infused of roses along the veranda. Our mother had been born there, and by rights it should have belonged to Constance. I decided, as always, that it would be safe to go past and post post office in Rochester House, although I disliked seeing the house where our mother was born. This side of the street was generally deserted in the morning, and since it was shady, and after I went to the grocery, I would, in any case, have to pass the general store to get home, and passing it going and coming were more than I could bear. Outside the village, on Hill, Hill Road and River Road and Old Mountain, people like the Clarks and the Carrotons had built new lovely homes. They had come through the village to get to Hill Road and River Road because the main street of the village was the main highway through the state. But the Clark children and the Carrotton boys went to private schools and the food in the hills Road kitchens came from the towns and city mail were taken from the village post office by car along the river road up to the old mountain. But the mountain people mailed their letters in town, the river hill, had a hair cut in the city. I was puzzled that the people of the village living in their dirty little houses on the main highway or out on the creek road smiled and nodded and waved when clerks and caravans drove by. Helen Clark came into Albert's grocery to pick up a tin of tomato soup, a hound of coffee, a cook had forgotten. Everyone told her, good morning, and said the weather was better today. Clark's house is newer, but no finer than a Blackwood house. Our father brought home the first piano ever seen in the village. A Carrotons owned the paper. Mill Butler Blackwoods owned the land between the highway and the river. The shepherds of the old mansion gave the village its own town hall, oh, which is white and pink and set in the green lawn with a canyon in front. There are some. There was some talk of putting a little in zoning laws in the village and tearing down the sacks on Creek Road and building up the whole village to match the town hall, but no one ever lifted a finger. 
Maybe they thought the Blackwoods might take to attending town meetings if they did. The British did get their hunting and fishing licenses in the town hall, and once a year the clerks of the Carrotons and the shepherds attended the town meeting and solemnly vote to get the Harker junkyard off the main street and take away the benches in front of the general store, and each year the villagers gleefully outvoted them. Past the town hall, bearing to the left, is Blackwood Road. This is the way home. Blackwood Road goes into a great round, great circle, round the Blackwood land, and along every inch of the Blackwood Road is a wire fence built by my father. Not far past the town hall is a big black rock which marks the entrance to the path where I unlock the gate and lock it behind me to go through the woods. And I'm, 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 and I'm home. A few of the village have always hated us. I've laid a game when I, I did the shopping. I thought about the children's games. Well, all the boards is marked small into little spaces, and each player moves accordingly to a throw of the dice. They were always dangerous, like lose one turn and go back for space, four spaces, turn to start. A little helps, like advance three squares, places, and take you an extra turn. The library was my start, and the black rock was my goal. I had to move down one side of the main street, cross, then move up to the other side, till I reached the black rock when, when I could, would win. I was going well, with a good safe turn along the empty side of the main street. Perhaps this would turn out to be one of the very good days. It was, it was like that sometimes, but not often as being always. If it was a good day, I would later make an offering of jury, make an offering of jury out of gratitude. I walked quickly when I started, having a breath, deep breath to go on, with not look, looking around. I had library books and my shopping bag to carry. I watched my feet moving one after the other, two feet in my mother's old brown shoes. I felt someone watching me from inside the post office. We did not accept mail. We did not have a phone phone. Both had become unbearable six years before. But I could bear a quick stare from the, the office. That was Miss Dunton who never did her staring out in the open, like other folks. They looked out between blinds or from behind curtains. I never looked up at the house. I didn't, could not bear to think of our mother being born there. I, heard, I wondered sometimes if hard people knew they lived in a house which should have belonged to Constantine. Constance. There was always very so much noise crashing tinware in their yard that they could not hear me walking. Perhaps the howlers thought they were an ending noise, drove away demons. Perhaps they were musical and found it agreeable. Perhaps the howlers lived inside the way they did outside, sitting all, all in old bathtubs, eating a dinner of broken plates set on a skeleton of an old full car, rattling cans as they ate and talking in bellows. A spray of dirt always across the sidewalk where the Harlers lived. Crossing the street, lose one turn, Come ne- came next to get to the grocery directly opposite. I always hesitated, vulnerable and exposed on the side of the road while the traffic went on on by. My street traffic was going through cars and trucks passing through the village because the highway did. So the drivers hardly glanced at me 
I could tell a local car by the quick, ugly glance from the driver, and I wondered, perhaps, that would that would happen if I stepped down from the curb into the road. Would they be quick, almost unattended, swerve toward me, just to scare me, perhaps just to see me jump? Then the laughter came in, coming from all sides, behind the blinds of the post office, from the men in the front of the general store, the women peering out of the grocery doorway, all of them watching and gloating to see Mary Catherine Blackwood scurrying out of the way of a car. I sometimes lost two or even three turns because I waited so carefully for the road to clear in both directions before I crossed. In the middle of the street I came out of the shade and into the bright, misleading sunshine of April. By July, the surface of the road had been soft, and the heat of my feet would stick. Making the crossing more perilous, Mary Kathleen Blackwood, her feet caught in the tar, cringing as the car bore down her, go back all the way and start over. The building would be uglier. All the village was a piece of time and a style. It was as though the people needed the ugliness of the village to f- and fed on it. The houses and the stores seemed to have been set up in contemporous haste to provide shelter for the drab and unpleasant. The Washington House, the Blackwood House, and even the town hall were, had been brought here, perhaps accidentally, from some far l- lovely country where people lived in grace. Perhaps the fine houses have been captured. Perhaps a punishment for the provocateurs and the Blackwoods, their secret bad hearts, and were held prisoner in the village. Perhaps their slow rot was a sign. Lugless of the villagers, a row of stores along Main Street, was unchangeably grey. The people who owned the stores lived above them in a row of second-story apartments, curtains in a regular line of second-story windows of pale without life. Whatever planned to be colourful lost its heart complete quickly in the village. A blight on the village never came from the Blackwoods. The village just belonged here. A village is the only proper place for them. I'd always thought that the rot out uh, the rot when I came toward the row of house doors. I thought about the burning black pitiful rot that ate away from inside, hurting dreadfully. I wished to go to the village. I had a shopping list for the grocery contents, made it out for me every Tuesday and Friday before I left home. The people of the village disliked the fact we always had plenty of money for whatever we wanted. We had taken our money out of the bank, of course. I knew they talked about the money hidden in our house, as though it was in great heaps of gold and coins and contents. And Uncle Julian and I sat in evenings in our library, forgotten, and play, played with it, rummaging our hands for it and counting and stacking and tumbling and jeering and mocking behind closed locked doors. I imagine as there was plenty of rotting hearts in the village coveting our heaps of gold coins, but they were cowards, and they were afraid of Blackwoods. When I took my grocery list out of my shopping bag, I took out the purse too, so that Albert in the grocery would know that I had enough money, and he could not refuse to sell me sell to me. It never mattered who was in the grocery, 
I always served at once. Mr. Egbert, always pale, greedy wife, always came right away from wherever they were in the store to get me. What I wanted, sometimes in the older boy, was helping out in the school vocation. They hurried to make sure that he was not the one who waited on me. And once, when a, little, uh, when a little girl, a girl, child strange to the village, of course, came close to me in the port of the grocery, Mrs. Albert pulled her back so roughly she screamed and there was a long, still minute when someone waited for Miss Albert took a breath and said, Anything else? I always stood perfectly straight and stiff when the children came close, because I was afraid of them. I was afraid they might touch me, and the mothers would come at me like a flock of talent hawks. They were always a picture I had in my mind. Birds descending, striking, gashing with razor claws. Didn't they had a great many things to buy, for concerts. It was a relief to see there were no children in the store, and not many women. Take an extra turn, I thought, and said to Mr. Albert, Good morning. He nodded to me. He could not do to not go entirely without greeting me, and yet the women in the store were watching. I turned my back on them, but I could feel them standing behind me, holding a can of half-filled bag of cookies, or a head of lettuce, not willing to move until I had gone through the door again, and the wave of talks began, and they were swept back into their own lives. Mrs. Donnell was back there somewhere. I had seen her as I came in. I wondered, as I heard, before, as she came on purpose, when she knew I was coming, because she always tried to, get to say something. She was one of those people who spoke. A roasting chicken, I said to Mrs. Miss, Mr. Elbert. Across the store, his greedy wife opened the refrigerator case. I took out a chicken and began to wrap it. A small leg of a lamb, I said, my uncle. Julian always fancies a roast lamb in the first spring of days. I, I could, should not have said it. I knew the little gas went around the store like a scream. I came from, it made them run like rabbits. I thought if I said that to them, what I really wanted to do, but they would only gather around outside and watch for me there. Onions, I said politely to Mr. Albert. Coffee, bread, flour, walnuts, I said. And then sugar, we, we, are, we are, are very, very low in sugar. Somewhere behind me, there it was a small, horrified laugh. Mr. Egbert glanced past me briefly, and then to the eyes him, he's arranging on the counter. In a minute, Mr. Egbert would bring my chicken and my meat, wrapped and set them down on other things. I did not need to turn around till I was ready to do. Two quarts of milk, I said, and a half quart of cream, and a pound of butter. The Harris's had... Stopped living very good six years ago. I bought milk and butter from the grocery now. A dozen eggs, Constance had forgotten to put eggs on the list, but there had been only two at home. A bunch box of peanut butter, I said, Uncle Julian, will clatter and crunch over his papers tonight and go to bed sick, stickly, sickly, sickly. The Black Wizard always did a fine table. There was Mr. Dogwell. Clearly, from somewhere behind me, and someone giggled, and someone said, "Shh!" I never turned. It was nice to feel them all there, back on my me without 
looking into their flat grey eyes that were hate, with hating eyes, flat grey faces with hating eyes. I wish you, you were all dead, I thought, and longed to say it out loud. Lord Constance, Constance, Constance said, never let them see you care. And if you pay you any attention, that only get worse. And probably it was true. But I wish they were dead. I wouldn't have liked to. I didn't like to come in the grocery store or morning and seeing all the, them all. Them all, even the Albert Eberts and the children lying there crying with pain and dying. I would then help myself to groceries. Well, stepping over their bodies, t- taking whatever I fancied from on the, from the shelves, and go home with perhaps a kick for Mrs. Doral while she lays there. I am nervous, sorry that I had faults like this. I only wish they would come true. It's wrong to hate them. Constantine said, it's only weakness you. It only weakens you, but I hated them anyway. I wondered why we made worth what little... But being worth while creating them in the first place. Mr. Egbert put all of my groceries together on the counter and waited, looked past me into the distance. That's what I want today, I told him. Without looking, he took to, to me. At me, he wrote the, the prices on a slip and added, then passed the slip to me. I could make, I could not make, I couldn't make sure he had not cheated me. I always made a point of checking his figures carefully. Though he never made a mistake, there was not many things I could do to get back at them. But I did what I could. The grocery filled my shopping bag. Mr. Elbert put all the groceries together. The candle waited, looking past to me in the distance. That's all I want today, I told him, without looking at me. To, he wrote the pieces, prices and slip, and added, and passed the slip to me, so I could make sure that he did not cheat me. I always made a point of checking his figures carefully, though he never made a mistake. There was not many things I could do to get them back at them. But I did what I could. The groceries filled my shopping bag, and other day this besides. But there was no way of getting them home except by carrying them. Not no one would ever offer to help me. The groceries filled my shopping bag and other and other bags besides. There's no way of getting from them home except by carrying them. No one would ever offered to help me of course, even if they would let them. Lose two turns with my library books and my groceries going slowly. I walked, just had to walk down the sidewalk past the general store into cellars. I stopped in the doorway of the grocery, feeling round inside myself for some vault to make me safe. Behind me, the little stones of coffee began. They were getting ready to talk again. Across the Whitford store, the Edbutts were funny rolling their eyes at each other in relief. I froze my head and hid face hard. Today I was going to think about try, trying taking our lunch out in the garden while I kept my eyes open just enough to see 
where I was walking, my mother's brown shoes coming up and down. In my mind, I was setting a table with a green cloth and bringing out great leather dishes and strawberries in a white bowl. Yellow dishes, I thought, filling the eyes of the man, men looking at me. I went by, and Uncle Julian shall, shall have a nice soft egg with, with toast broken under it. I do remember to ask Constant to put the shawl across his shoulders, because he's still very, it's still very early spring. Without looking, I see the grinning and the registering. I wish I, they were all dead. I was walking on, the, on their bodies. They really spoke directly to me, but only to each other. That's one of the Blackwood girls, I heard one of them say, in a mocking, high and mocking voice. One of the Blackwood girls from Blackwood Farm. Too bad about the Blackwoods, the girl, someone else said. Just loud enough. Not bad about those poor girls. Nice farm out there, said they say. Nice land of, to farm. People, men could get rich farming the Blackwood land. If he had a million years and three heads and didn't care about what grew a man could get rich. Keep their land pretty was well locked up. The Blackwoods do. Men could get rich. Too bad about the Blackwood girls. Never can tell what grow or grow on Blackwood land. I'm walking up on their bodies, I thought. We're having lunch in the kitchen, and Uncle Julian is wearing his shawl. I always held my go held my groceries carefully along here. Because one terrible morning I had dropped the shopping bag, the eggs broke and the milk spilt, and I gathered up what I would like to have. What I could while they shouted, telling myself, I, whatever I did, I could, would not run away, shoveling cans and boxes and spilt sugar widely back into the shopping bag. Telling myself not to run away. In front of the studders, there's a crack in the which I walk. It looked like a finger pointing. The crack had always been there. Other landmarks, like the handprint Johnny Morris made in the concrete foundation of the town hall, and the Miller's boy initials on the, on the library's porch had been put in. Had been put in times I remembered. It was the third grade at school when the town hall was built. But the crack in the sidewalk in front of Stellars had always been there. Just as Stellars had always been there. I remember roller skating across the crack and being careful not to step on it, or, or it would break on mother's back and riding a bicycle past it with my hair flying behind. The villagers did not openly dislike us then, although my father said they were trash. Our mother told me once that the crack was there when she was a girl in Mutchetales. So it must have been here when she married our father and went to live in Blackwood Farm. I suppose the crack was there, like finger-pointing, from the time the villagers was first put together of old grey wood and ugly people with their evil faces, faces brought from some impossible place and set down in the, the, in the houses to live. Stella brought the coffee urn and put in the marble in a marble counter with the insurance money when her father died. Another, otherwise, there had been no ch- change in, in Stella's since I can remember. Constance and I came in here to spend pennies after school, and every afternoon we picked the newspaper to take home for our father. He'd read it in the evening. We no longer bought the newspapers, but Stella still sold them, along with the magazines and pretty... Penny candy and grey postcards at the town hall. 
Good morning, Miss Mary Kathleen, Stutter said. I sat down on the counter and put my groceries on the floor. I sometimes felt I wished all the village people dead. I might spare Stella, because she was the closest of kind that any of them could be, and any one who managed to keep hold of any colour at all. She's round and pink, and when she put on a bright pink dress, it stayed looking bright for a little while, before it merged into a dirty grey of the rest. How are you today? she asked. Very well, thank you. Now, Constance Blackwell, you're well. Very well, thank you. And how is he? As well as can be expected. Black coffee, please. I really prefer sugar and cream of coffee because it's such a bitter, bitter stuff. But since I only came here out of pride, I needed a set. Only the barest minimum for token. If anyone came in cellars while I was there, I got up and left quietly. But well, some days I had bad luck. This morning she only set my coffee down on the counter when there was a shadow against the doorway. And Stella looked up and said, Good morning, Jim. She went back, went down to the other end of the counter and waited, expecting him to sit down there so I could leave without being noticed. But it was Jim Dooley. I knew at once that today I had bad luck. Some of the people in the village had real faces I knew and would hate individually. Jim Daly and his wife were among those, because they were deliberate instead of just hating Dolly for the habit like the others. Most people would have stayed down at the end of the counter while Stella waited, but Jim Dolly came right to the end where I was sitting and took the stool next to me, as close to me as he could because I knew he wanted this morning to be bad luck for me. They tell me, he said, swinging to sit sideways on his stool, and looked at me directly, they tell me you were moving away. I wish he would not sit so close to me. Stella came towards us on the inside of the counter. I w- wished her, she would ask him to move so I could get up and leave without having to struggle around him. They tell me you're moving away, he said solemnly. No, I said, because he was waiting. Funny, he said, looking for me for me to Stella. And then back again. I could have sworn someone told me you were going soon. No, I said. Coffee, Jim? Stella asked. How do you think you who who do you think would start a story like that, Stella? Why do you think they want to tell me they they're moving away when they're not doing any such thing? Stella took a shook her head at him, but she was trying not to smile. I saw that my hand was tearing at the paper napkin on my lap, ripping off all the little corners. I forced my hands to step me still, make I made a rule for myself. Whatever I saw a tiny scrap of paper I had to remember to be kind to Uncle Julian. Can't ever tell how gossip gets around, Jim Dello said. Perhaps someday soon Jim Dello would die. Perhaps there was already a rot growing inside him that was going to kill him. Did you ever hear anything like the gossip in this town, he asked Stella. Leave her alone, Stella said. Uncle Julian was an old man. He was dying, dying regretfully, more subtly than Jim Dell and Stella and everyone else. The poor old Uncle Julian was dying, and they had made a firm rule to be kinder to him. He would, we would have a picnic, lunch on the lawn, and concerts would bring his shawl and put it over his shoulders. I would lie on the grass. I'm not bothering anybody, Stella. I am not, not, am I bothering anybody? I'm just asking Mr. Mary Catherine Blackwood here. How, how it happens, everyone in town is saying she and her big sister are going to leave us soon. 
as soon. Moving away, going somewhere else to live, he stirred his coffee, and from the corner of my eye I could see the spoon going round and round and round. I wanted to laugh. There's something so simple and silly about the spoon going around while Jim Donnell talked. I wondered if he would stop talking if I reached out and took hold of the spoon. Very likely he would. I told myself wisely, very likely he would throw the coffee in my face. Going somewhere else, he said sadly. Cut it out, Stella said. I would listen more carefully than Uncle Julian told us. When Uncle Julian told us his story, I'd always... I was already being a peanut brittle. That was good. Here, I was, I was all, I was all upset. Jim Mill said, thinking the town would be losing one of its fine old families. It would be really too bad. He swung the other way round on the stall because somebody else was coming through the doorway. I was looking at my hands in my lap, and of course, I not not well, could not turn around to see who was coming. But when Jim Mill said, "Joe," I knew it was Dumham. The carpenter. Joe, you ever heard anything about this? Like this? Here they've all got, gone over town. They're saying that Blackwood's are moving away. And now Miss Mary Kathleen Blackwood sits right here and speaks up and tells me they're not. There was a little silence. I knew that the Dunhill was scowling. Looking at Jim Delel and Stella at me, thinking over what he heard, sorting out the words and deciding what each one meant. And so he said at last, listen to you two. Listen you two, Stella said, but Jim Delel went on, talking with his back to me, his legs stretched out, so I could not get past him and outside. I'm saying to the people only this morning, it's too bad when the old families go. Although you could rightly say a good number of the backwards have gone already. He laughed and slapped the corner with his hand. Gone already, he said. Again, the spoon in his cup was still, but he was talking on. A village lose a lot of style when the old people go. Anyone would think, he said slightly, that they weren't wanted. That's right, Dunham, said. He laughed. Away they live up there in their fine old private estate, their fences and their private path and their stylish way of living. He always went on until he was tired. When Janelle went thought of something to say, he said it's as often as many ways as possible, perhaps because he had very few ideas. And to wringing each one dry. Besides, each time he repeated himself, he thought it was funnier. I knew he might go on like this, until the, he was really sure that no one was listening anymore. I made a rule to myself, never think anything more than once. I put my hands quick, quietly on my lap. I am living on the moon. I am I am myself. I have a little house all of myself on the moon. Well, Jim and Della said, he smelled too. I can always tell people I used to know the Blackwoods. They never did anything to me that I can remember. Always perfectly polite to me. Not, he said, and laughed. I got. I never get an invite to any to take my dinner with them. Nothing like that. There's enough right there, Stella said. My voice was sharp. Her voice was sharp. You've got to pick on someone else, Jim Delon. Yes, I'm picking on on everyone. 
You think I wanted to be asked to dinner? You think I'm crazy? Me? Dunham, Dunham said. I can always tell people I fixed their broken step once. Never got, got paid for it. That was true. Constance had sent me out to tell him that he couldn't, he wouldn't pay carbon prices for a board, raw board nailed crookedly across the step when what you were supposed to do was build it trim and new. When I went out and told him he wouldn't pay, he grinned at me a spat and picked up his hammer and plied the ball loose and threw it on the floor round. Do it yourself, he said, he said to me, and got into his truck and drove away. Never did get paid for it, he said. Now, it must have been an oversight, Joe. You, mu- you must, you just go right up and speak to Mr. Constant Blackwood, and she will see that they're coming to you. Just if you get, if you, you get invited to dinner, Joe, you might be sure and say no thank you to Miss Blackwood. Burnham laughed. Not me, he said. I fixed their step for them. I never did, did get paid for it. Funny, Jim Dale said. Then getting the house fixed up and all, and planning to move away all the time. Mary Kathleen Stella said, coming long, down along inside the counter to where I was sitting. You go, you go along home. Just get off that stall and go home along. Home. There won't be any peace around here until you go. Now that's the truth, Jim Dale said Stella. Looked at him and he moved his legs. Let me pass. You just say the word, Mrs. Carroll, Mary Kathleen, and we'll come out and help you pack and say the word, me, me, me a cat. And you tell, and can you tell your sister for me? Dunham stated, started to say, but hurried. And by the time I got in outside, all I could hear was laughter, the two of them and Stella. I light my house on the moon. Yeah. I put a fireplace in it and a garden outside. That, that what would flourish growing on the moon? I asked. Must ask Clarence Constantine. I was going to have lunch outside my garden on the moon. Things in the moon were very bright and the colours. My little house would be blue. I watched my small brown feet go in and out. Let shopping bag swing a little by the side, my side. I'd been to Stella's and now I needed only to pass the town hall. And every empty set for the people were made out dog licences. The people counted traffic fines for the drivers who followed the highway into the village and got on through. And the people went out notices about water and sewage and garbage and fed. Other people would burn leaves or fish. They would all be buried somewhere deep inside the town hall, working busily together. I had nothing to fear from them, lest they fished out season. I thought of catching scarlet fish in the rivers of the moon, on the moon, and saw that the Harris boys were in their front yard, clamouring and quarrying with half a dozen other boys. I had not been able to see them until I came past the corner by Tan Hall. I could still see them turn back and gone the other way by the main high street to the creek, then across the creek and home again along the other side of the path to our house. But it was late, and I had the groceries, and the creek was nasty to wade in our mother's brown shoes, and I thought I'm living on the moon. I walked quickly. They saw me at once, and I thought that with them rotting away and curling in pain and crying out loud, I wanted them doubled up and crying on the ground in front of me. 
Meerkat, they called. Meerkat. Meerkat. And moved all together and stand in line by the fence. I wondered if their parents taught them Jim Dale and Durham and Dirty Harris leading regular drills to their children, teaching them their lovely care, loving care, making sure they pitch their voices right. How else would so many children learn so thoroughly? Mary Cat said Connie would like to a cup of tea. Oh no, said Mary Cat, you will poison me. Mary Cat said Connie, would you like to go to sleep? Down in the boneyard, ten feet deep. I was telling that I could not, did not speak their language. On the moon we spoke soft, liquid tongue, and sang in the starlight, looking down on the dried, dead, dried world. I was almost halfway past the fence. Mary Cat, Mary Cat, where's old Connie? Home, cooking dinner? Would you like a cup of tea? It was strange to be inside. Myself, walking steadily and rigidly past the fence, putting my feet down strongly. But without haste, they might have noticed to be inside and know that they were looking at me. I was hiding very far inside. I could hear them and see them still from one corner of my eye. I wish they were all lying there dead on the ground. Boom, down in the boneyard, ten feet deep, Mary Cat. Once, when I was going past Harris's boy's mother, came out on the porch. Perhaps to see what they were all yelling to so about. She stood there for a minute and watching and listening. I stopped and looked at her, looking in her flat, dull eyes and knowing I must not speak to her and knowing I would. Can't you make them stop? I asked her that day. I'm wondering if there were if there were if there was anything in this woman I could speak to if she had ever ran joyfully over grass or had watched flowers or even known delight or love. Can't make them stop kiss, she said, not changing her voice to look a look or a look or 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 her air of dull enjoyment. Can't call the lady names. Yes, ma one of the boys said soberly. Don't go Near no fence, don't call no lady names. And I walked on while they shrieked and shouted. The woman stood on the porch and laughed. Mary Cat said, Connie, would you like a cup of tea? Would you like a cup of tea?